This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Carr has to work quickly. Down to six seconds. Carr going down again. And it's Quentin Williams this time for the Jets. And welcome back to another episode of the Cool Your Jets podcast. We're your host, Ben Blessington and Michael Nania. Michael, I think we're recording this one a little too late. It is 12.22 in the morning. We honestly could have recorded this a few hours ago. As soon as Joe Douglas and Robert Sala came out for their uh, their press conference um, in the middle of the draft, we probably should have known that the Jets were, were done drafting for the night. Um, but an exciting one, pick 34, going out and getting a weapon for their young quarterback and Elijah Moore, receiver from Ole Miss. Michael, I know you were a little shocked at first with this election. I know you didn't really like it. Let's see if you can do what I think I'm the master at, and that's called you know Jets rationalization. How are you feeling about the Elijah Moore selection a few hours after your initial uh, reaction to the pick? Well, I was definitely taken aback by it, and I know I didn't put out any public negative thoughts about it, but I know talking to you, there are some DMs in there that are not very positive. <laughs> I think you wanted Joe Douglas fired. I did. I wanted him fired after this I, he pick. Was kidding. You know, he was kidding. In spite of everything, I think this was grounds for firing because, you know, <laughs> I, I, they do have Jameson Crowder, who I think is a great player. But, you know, no, being realistic, like, it, you know, I was taken aback by it. Um, but, you know, after getting some time to think about it, it it's a pick that I really like um, for a lot of different reasons because um, I, I still – in my opinion, would have taken Tevin Jenkins there, built up the offensive line. And if not doing that, I would have moved back um, or at least attempted to move back because a lot of teams were moving up and down the board on day two. There were plenty of trades to be had. The Broncos came up one spot behind the Jets. Um, So there are other ways I would have gone, but there are a lot of reasons to like this. Elijah Moore is a good value at this spot. He's I think he's a lot more than just that gadget guy, because if that's what they were looking for, then I think they would have waited to take a wide receiver. There are plenty of guys they could have gotten who could fill that role and he can do that really well, but I think they really do picture him in that Debo Samuel sort of role where he's doing those sort of things, the jet sweeps, the design passes behind the line scrimmage, the screen passes, but he's doing it at a high volume. And he also brings enough to the table to where he's still a starter and he can produce at all three levels of the field because that's what he did at Ole Miss this past season. He was second in the entire country 
in receiving yards per game in the deep range behind Jalen Waddle and second in the intermediate range uh, behind Dwayne Eskridge. So it's not like he was just that gadget guy. He is a really good all around receiver, even at his size. He's able to go up and win contested balls. He caught over 70% of his contested targets last season. His hands are great. He had a 2% drop rate, only two drops last season, lower drop rate than any receiver who's taken before him in this draft. Um, so he brings a lot to the table. Obviously, what you're looking for is that underneath stuff, that perfect fit in this LaFleur offense. Can he be that Debo Samuel sort of guy? Um, but at the same time, uh, he has the ability to, even at his size, just be a flat out really good all around wide receiver. Obviously you're not going to put him on the outside playing that X role. That's why you have Denzel Mims and Corey Davis here. He's going to be off the line of scrimmage. He's going to be in the slot, but he can move around everywhere. He can line up in the backfield. You can put him in a bunch formation on the outside. He really can do everything. He reminds me a lot of Curtis Samuel. Um, I think, you know, Debo is the one who gets the comparisons because we're looking at LaFleur's past. And I think we're going to see a lot of those things, but Curtis Samuel is the guy who was lining up in the backfield a lot, you know, taking handoffs, um, doing a lot of those different things, but also having that three level production because Curtis Samuel wasn't just a gimmick guy. He did a lot of the gimmicky stuff and succeeded with it, but he was also, he also led the NFL in deep catch rate last season. And that's something Elijah Moore is capable of doing. So um, this is not a position that was a position of need. Uh, There's even a tweet. I replied to you. I said a few hours before the draft, uh, second night started i was like i have no interest in taking a wide receiver today yeah. <laughs> and and you know i i do stand by Very that matter this, of fact this isn't what this isn't this wouldn't have been my preferred route i still would have rather taken jenkins taken a wusu koromoa even though he slipped a lot further a lot further than we thought he would or traded down um i do think this is a little bit of a luxury pick so not a huge fan of the positional value but at the end of the day it's another quarterback supporting move if you keep Jameson Crowder, this is a ridiculous five deep wide receiver depth chart. You're, you're talking about Keelan Cole being your fifth best receiver and your fourth best receiver or your number four receiver being either Crowder or Elijah Moore. That is extremely good depth. Um, great for a young quarterback coming in. Uh, and if you do get rid of Crowder, then Moore can step right in and take on a starting role right away. And you can see what you have with him. Uh, and he'll get the opportunity to shine. And you can maybe get a pick out, a day three pick out of Crowder, maybe get a little more cap space they could use this season um, for a little more flexibility. Um, so not a, the biggest fan of the position. I'm going to be completely honest. I'm not going to go all the way down the uh, rationalization rabbit hole because if you told me the Jets oh, don't were going to make this it's pick, coming. It, I'm, I'm already doing it. I'm already gone way down it. Um, but if you told me the Jets were going to do this um, – and with Tevin Jenkins and Wusa Koromo on the board before the draft started, I definitely wouldn't have liked it. So I'm not going to completely just, you know, be uh, use the revisionist history here. But right. Elijah Moore is a very good player. He helps out the quarterback. The Crowder's contract is expiring after the season anyway. So you have to think long term with your draft picks as well. It's not just about right now. Crowder's going to be gone next year, presumably. So you need to have his replacement in mind and he Elijah Moore can be that um, so there's a lot to like about this pick not the route I would have gone not what I expected for sure they have a lot of defensive holes and they were unable to get more picks to fill those on day two and they took a player at a position they were already pretty strong at in my opinion uh, but at the same time he checks all the boxes they're missing a wide receiver 
um, in terms of the elusiveness, uh, being playing that X factor sort of role, gadget role, but at the same time, still having enough upside to just be a flat out really good wide receiver for years to come. So I do, I, I like this is the sort of pick I feel comfortable giving a solid B. This isn't the positional value or the uh, the pick value in terms of the potential of the trade down that I would have liked, but the the player the player is an A. The everything else in terms of position and the draft capitals probably a C. So I can give this a B overall. Yeah, I think my Jets rationalization comes more from a complete faith in Joe Douglas because I didn't used to be like this. And I think the Jets have just made me so sad over the years that if you can just put yourself in the mindset that the Jets were thinking in when they make a decision, you're always happy. And I, I'm kind of doing that a little bit to an extent on this pick. It's not necessarily what I would have done, but I definitely cannot hate on the philosophy. I was very adamant. It's like, look, if the Jets love a player, they should just take him at 34. Don't mess around. And Daniel Jeremiah said on the NFL network, um, uh, stream that when he was a scout in Baltimore with Joe Douglas, they had a thing called, you know, red star players under Ozzie Newsome. And those are players that you just really loved. Uh, and he said he knew for a fact that Elijah Moore was a red star player for the Jets. So the fact that it was a guy that they were really in love with had thought was a great fit in their offense and was going to help the rookie quarterback. I think you'd do it. Yeah. And because, it seemed like they were going to take him at 23. Um, yeah. The, it seems like yeah, if, video, if they didn't get off um, the way they were talking to him, they were like, you know, um, after the trade up, we were afraid we weren't going to get you. So it, it, they were going to take him at number 23 if they stayed put. Yeah, which is a, a bit surprising, but I like it. I like that they're going to help um, uh, their quarterback. And I like that he's, he's a contrast um, to the receivers that they already do have. And I think it's a really good fit with Zach Wilson. We've kind of talked about surrounding your quarterback with playmakers that play to their strengths. And I think the Jets have a lot of really good big bodied possession guys who can come down with those, those jump ball receive uh, those jump ball uh, routes that, that Zach Wilson had a lot of success with at BYU. I think that Corey Davis and Denzel Mims and even Keelan Cole are going to be able to provide that. I like the, the security that Jamison Crowder, if he stays, is going to give him. And that, that applies to Elijah Moore because his hands are amazing. I mean, he's fearless over the middle um, and he has terrific hands. So you don't have to worry about that. He is a really perfect Shanahan receiver, but I like that he's just going to give the Jets some explosiveness. He's going to give a quarterback like Zach Wilson, who likes playing that backyard football that, um, that you know, can change his arm angle and, and whip it um, 50 yards down the field. I like that he's going to have somebody who's kind of capable of, of capturing that big play magic. Um, although he's, he hasn't really been much of a deep threat in college. I mean, he did obviously have examples of it. He's more of a, a yards after catch type of receiver, but I think you like the the potential there because his route running is so crisp because his hands are so good and he's so explosive. I mean, his pro day was insane. Um, just watching his four, watching the video of his 40 time, it was just jaw dropping. And then watching how many uh, reps he was able to do on the bench. I mean, this is a, an incredible athlete. Uh, and the way that I look at it is like, look, if you look at all the best drafts or look at all the best jets drafts, you know, 2006, um, any of the ones that, uh, that people point to 2000, there's about three to four good to great players in that, you know, I think fans have this misconception of um, that. You're going to hit on every single pick. If you have seven picks, you're pretty much just trying to hit on three or four of them. I mean, four is a really great draft. Three is a really good draft mm -hmm. and et cetera. And the jets, I feel this way. And Joe Douglas said it, that they got three players uh, in their top tw 25. So they essentially got three first rounders and you got to be ecstatic about that. If, if their project, if their projections are right and their scouting department is what we think it might be, because I'm quite optimistic about this group, 
I think you have to be head over heels. I mean, I, I think this is a look at what they've done for Zach Wilson, what they couldn't do for Sam Darnold. This is already a miles better team than, than what Sam Darnold walked into. You posted that graphic of the, the receiving core that, that Darnold had his rookie year against Chicago when there was a few injuries. Um, and it was like Deontay Burnett. Uh, I can't even Jerome Jermaine Peek, Curse, Andre Roberts. Peek. Yeah, it was just like, what the hell was that? You look at week 17 as rookie year. Hell, week 17 pretty much any year. It was just a bunch of no names in the field. And so the thing I like about it is, uh, yes, it wasn't necessarily a need, but all it takes is one Denzel Mims injury. And now you have Keelan Cole on the outside, and now who's your receiver for? I mean, like depth is a really important um, thing um, for a team, and especially a position like wide receiver. Um, so I, I don't hate the move at all. You bring in depth to your receiving uh, department. You give them something that's a little bit different. You give them that explosive weapon. I think he's going to be a great fit. Uh, you've talked a lot about how they kind of need a guy that they can give these jet sweeps to, those receiver screens, those gadget plays. It's a really big part of that Shanahan system. And yes, there are a lot of guys in that draft that fit that mold. But if you think Elijah Moore is the best at it in the draft or one of the best at it in the draft, and there's a, a difference in tier, you take him. Because that was one of the things. It's like, Wusu Kormoa was great, and I, I kind of had a feeling they might take him when when it when I was just you know when the pick was in, I was like, I think it's gonna be Wusu Kormoa because he's literally all gas, no break is pretty much how I would use to describe him. He's a perfect fit and solid system, but I was kind of worried about it. I'm like, look, he's undersized, so there is kind of the worry about uh, him being a tweener. I think he will be good, but there's at least that question mark. Um, and then it's like if you take a defensive player and you're not picking again until round four it's a lot worse that you didn't really get any opportunity to surround Zach Wilson. So the fact that they were able to get a top 25 player an offensive player and surround it made it waiting all the way till round four, a lot more acceptable. Um, so let's talk about round four because Michael, I think some fan, we'll start with the offensive line. I think some fans had uh, an expectation that the jets might try to double down on offensive line. Tevin Jenkins was still there. Creed Humphrey was still there. There was a lot of really good offensive linemen that went on day two. And, and me and you both talked about this as well, but I will say, that last year, I think a lot of fans had the same expectation is after we got Makai Becton, people were talking on day two about, okay, let, they're, they're going to draft another offensive line, really double up here. And uh, Joe Douglas didn't. Joe Douglas didn't take anybody in day two. He filled out other parts of his roster. He came back to offensive line day three. And I think part of that is he's confident in his abilities to scout offensive line. I mean, that's how he made his bones the NFL. So, you know, he doesn't feel the pressure to take to scramble to take one in round two because he knows he has some gems he likes in round three. So I, I was always kind of confident that as we got closer, I was like, maybe he's not going to double down on, on offensive line. Uh, personally, I thought they were going to trade down, maybe take a corner, see how round three shakes out, um, maybe address offensive line then. But like you said, I, I would I would give it a uh, – I'll give it a B plus. I don't want to be too much of a homer. But I cannot hate on the philosophy, especially when you compare it um, to, to other um, Jets GMs. But, Michael, when we look towards day three – at that offensive line spot, how do you feel like the Jets have – what do you feel like the Jets' options are to, to fill that um, that right guard spot? Do you think it's still a priority? Do you think that the fact that they didn't touch on it on day two means that they are probably going to have to start a Greg Van Roten or see what they have in Cameron Clark? You know, now that I think about it, actually, I, I wonder if they are going to even take any offensive lineman on this day of the draft. If I think the, um, the X factor behind whether or not that happens is Cameron Clark. What do they – feel about him because you look at the depth chart and you know it's it's kind of filled out they made a couple of signings of free agency in terms of depth with uh dan feeney and Corey levin you have Cam uh, cameron clark there chuma idoga still here connor mcdermott um obviously all these guys are 
are pretty bad, but that's why they're backups. Um, so they absolutely, absolutely still could. But you know, I just think if they do really believe in Cameron Cameron Clark, then uh, it sort of can be. Uh, they could direct their attention to other positions first, especially on defense. Um, but there are a few guys who I sort of picked out who aren't necessarily round four options, but a few players who um, I think sort of fit the mold in terms of uh, this scheme, in terms of build, athleticism, things like that, to make them a fit in this offense. Uh, Drake Jackson, center from Kentucky, maybe round six. Jimmy Morrissey, center from Pittsburgh. And Brendan James, uh, a tackle from Nebraska, who I think could maybe switch it, uh, kick inside to guard. Um, so those three guys probably aren't round four options. Um, but all three of them really fit the athletic profile, I think, for this scheme. So I'd look at them for that reason, because Vera Tucker fit the profile perfectly. Just looking back at previous guards from San Francisco and Atlanta, um, when LaFleur and Shanahan were together, he's pretty much exactly the average of all those guys together with a little bit extra in terms of the bench press, but everything else was like right online. So they really did sort of live up to that mold, the typical wide zone Shanahan guard. So those three guys are kind of in that mold. I'd look out for them, but Trey Smith is probably the best guard. Um, you listed him as the number one option. Um, so he's definitely someone to look at. Um, Trey Hill at center from Georgia, maybe not as much of a scheme fit, but probably the best center available. Um, so there are some options, but I, I do wonder if they're going to go there because there is a little bit of a pipeline going now. Um, and they should continue to add add to it by all means. But, you know, this is day three. You got to play the board. You're not necessarily going to reach for needs at this point. Um, and at any point in the draft, you don't want to do it. They just took a wide receiver in the second round. And right. Joe Douglas has shown us that. that. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think uh, we're guilty of this as well. But a lot of fans look at the NFL draft like, you know, a big shopping list or something. And you can't really look at it as, as a – a time to fill needs. That's what free agency is for. I think you just go and you take the players that you're confident in and you take the players right. at the top of your board and you can look at it through different lenses. Clearly Joe Douglas is using a filter this year of we got to surround our, our, our quarterback. So he's looking at the best players on his board, but he's going to lean offense. It's kind of the, the sense I'm getting. You can lean positionally, but you get into trouble. And there's a lot of reasons. There's a lot of reaches and busts is when it's like, okay, we need a left guard. So let's take the best left guard available. Instead of if you have a corner on your board, that is you have, you know, a late first round grade on and you're at the top of the third, don't pass on him, take him. If your scouts are confident in him and, and the, the Elijah Moore pick reminds me actually a lot of the Ashton Davis pick last year. And I like it a lot more than the Ashton Davis pick last year, but Davis was a guy that they got to the third round and they had reportedly a late first grade on him. And they didn't necessarily have a need of safety. I mean, obviously they had May and Adams at the time. There was obviously some question marks with Adams, but this seemed more like a May replacement, but it was like, look, we're not winning anything anytime soon. We have a late first rounder on this, on this guy. Yes. Could we go and, you know, help out our quarterback and Sam Darnold maybe, but let's go and take the, the safety that we have a late round uh, round one grade on. It's kind of the same thought process right. with Elijah Moore. Um, so, and, and I'm totally guilty of this every single year. I think we're yeah, all guilty. No, I am of it. too. Um, like I, I fall into the trap every year. Like even with this very pick, I was like linebacker tackle. These are the needs, but it, it's just not how you draft. They can take safety. Of, Right. And they took safety last year. But I think the biggest reason behind that is just this game, this sport it changes so fast injuries, guys declining. Um, so much stuff happens. Jamal Adams just completely turning into a lunatic and forcing his way out of town. You never know what's going to happen. So something that's right. not a need today could be a huge need tomorrow and something that you have um, solved, solved right now 
could, you know, end up being a need down the line. So things change really quickly. So you just have to take the best talent. Obviously you lean towards need a little bit. You're not take the jets aren't taking a defensive tackle in the second round. Um, but so you lean towards it a little bit, obviously yeah. Joe Douglas is putting emphasis on supporting the quarterback. He's clearly doing that, but at the same time, like wide receiver quarterback supporting position, not the biggest position of need on the team, but it was, they love the player. They love the scheme fit. So it makes sense. So I, I think in general, like I'm, I've got to start doing better with it because like, I know this, but I continue to fall into the trap every year. Yeah. I, but, I think uh, it's, we got to just look at talent more. Yeah, it's also long-term needs. It's not just short-term right. needs. Like it would make no sense if the Jets draft another quarterback because Zach Wilson is their long-term plans. But Elijah Moore makes sense because it's like Jameson Crowder is not going to be a Jet next year. And quite frankly, they could trade him today, um, or cut him before the end of the season, or etc. Or keep him. I personally, if, if you don't get a good trade offer, I just keep him and bite the bullet. But um, you know, especially you, you could trade him away. Um, and Elijah Moore slides right in. You have to look at your long-term needs. You can't just look at, okay, this year we need this, uh, you know, we need a guard, we need et cetera. It's like long-term, okay, we're probably gonna need another corner. Long-term, we're gonna need a linebacker. But, you know, this year it's like we can go and sign Richard Sherman. This year we can go and, and make way with, with Blake Cashman, et cetera. You just have to look at your long-term plan. Um, and clearly the Jets are really confident in a player like Elijah Moore. As far as day three, though, uh, the guy that I'm really eyeing is Jabril Cox. I've, I'm really surprised he's still available. Um, part of the reason I didn't want to lose to Cormo is it's a deep class. And a guy like Cox, I was targeting with maybe one of the Jets third round picks. The fact that he's still available, I think he's that perfect will linebacker for Robert Sala. I do think the Jets need to give him something. Um, a perfect will coverage linebacker. I think Sala can help mold him into a great player. If they want to keep going offense, um, because I don't think you reach for a corner at this point. I think if you like a corner, you take him, but kind of what we're saying, like don't reach for one, just go and sign Brian pool and go sign Richard Sherman or Steven Nelson or somebody. Um, and you know, you bless Austin now has two years of starting experience. I mean, he's not a complete scrub, I guess. So it's just like, I, I think, he you know, if you're going to lose scrub, honestly, Oh, he, uh, he, well, he's not great, but it's like, it goes back to the sentiment we've had all month. It's like, if you're going to lose games, let it because your defense sucks, not because your, your rookie quarterback's getting battered. So it's like, if they want to keep going offense, it's like, Revan Jordan's there, tight end for Miami. I loved the fit a little bit better with Tommy Tremble because he was more of a blocking tight end. He was more of an H-back. He kind of juxtaposed Chris Hearn a little bit better, but still another weapon that you can utilize the 12 personnel. Obviously, there's a lot of good running backs available. Michael Carter and Kenneth Gamewell jump off the, the, the page to me. Um, they could go back to offensive line. I, I'm Personally, I, I think it'll be Jabril Cox if he's there. I think if Jabril Cox makes it, he makes too much sense. Saul is a linebacker's guy. You give your head coach a, a new toy to play with. I think it's really good value. Um, what are you kind of thinking for the first pick in the fourth round? And then we can, I guess, talk about some, some day three sleepers. Definitely Jabril Cox. I'm really surprised he made it that far because we saw Jamin Davis who was mostly throughout the process seen as like a second, third round guy. We saw him ascend into not just into the first round, but into the top 20, a guy who, you know, is good in coverage, good athlete, smaller linebacker, play the will role. And Cox is that same sort of guy. And, you know, he played at North Dakota state for a few years and he dominated there. And then he makes the jump up to LSU in his final season. And he continues dominating there in coverage, especially. Um, so, I'm really surprised he's still around. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So um, I, sort of similar to Owusu Koromoa, though, making that slide, then he continued to drop. Um, but Cox is definitely the guy for me here at uh, 
at the at the number 107 pick if the Jaguars don't take him, which I don't think they will. They are pretty much set at linebacker with uh, Joe Schobert and Miles Jack, but you never know. It's the fourth round. But um, if, if Jabril Cox is there at number 107, he's definitely the guy for me because I could totally see him, you know, starting as that will linebacker right away. It's not ideal. But that's the depth chart you have right now. Um, you know, with uh, Jared Davis as your Sam linebacker, rotational guy. Um, and, and Blake Cashman is there to compete for it too, but Cox checks all the boxes, I think, in terms of coverage. And he's also more of a prototype linebacker than Owusu Koromoa uh, uh, would have been. Um, Cox is up at 6'3", 232, so more typical linebacker size for the wheel position. Uh, and he has dominant production on his tape throughout his career. So he's definitely my guy at 107. Um, and then beyond that, um, wide receiver was what I was looking at, uh, looking to really go hard at. But like now with Elijah Moore drafted, that's probably not on the table. Um, but running back, you can start to think about that now. Um, Kenneth Gainwell's one of my favorites on this day. Um, great receiving back. Uh, most receiving yards in a season by a, uh, an FBS running back since Saquon Barkley a couple years ago. Michael Carter is probably going to go early. Uh, running mate with Javante Williams. I love Javante Williams. I, I was sort of expecting the Jets to go with him at 34. That's the name I was expecting to hear when they were on the clock. They didn't, and then he goes with the next pick. Uh, I think he's going to be great. Uh, Carter isn't quite – he's sort of the lightning to Javante Williams' thunder, more of the speed guy, uh, but he's really good too. They were both uh, what a couple – What type of running back do you think they are looking for? That – If they were going to take them. I really, I'm not sure if they're going to have a preference today because you look at the committee that they have, I feel like they have a little bit of everything. Obviously, all these guys are unproven and, you know, frankly, just compared to the rest of the league, not very good. Um, they could be good, but, you know, Tevin Coleman, Ty Johnson, Josh Adams, if we're ranking the league's running backs, they're not going to be very high. Um, but they do have a, a little bit of everything. Tevin Coleman is your receiving guy. Um, Josh Adams is your downhill runner. Ty Johnson's a little more patient of an outside speed runner. Um, then Michael P. Ryan, sort of your third down back fundamentals, uh, a little more of a power runner, a guy sort of a jack of all trades who isn't really special in terms of anything athletically. So they do have a little bit of everything. So I don't think there's necessarily a need there. So they can take pretty much any player they want, whoever their best back is, in my opinion. But I think the explosiveness is the biggest thing because, uh, I, I mean, you have a little bit of that in Tevin Coleman, but that's about it. Um, so I think that, but also receiving. Um, I think receiving is definitely something. Um, that's the best way to help out your rookie quarterback, I think. The run game will come from the effectiveness of the O-line mostly, but to have a guy who you can re rely on out of the backfield is important. I think Gainwell really checks that box. Ramondre Stevenson from Oklahoma he was one of the most uh, one of the most efficient receiving backs last season. Um, so those are a couple of guys I'm looking at. But th that is a good question. What do you think they're going to be looking at if they do take a running back? Well, uh, yeah, I think I think the home run guy. I think you're right. I don't really think Tevin Coleman at this stage in his career is, is classified as the home run guy. I think he's, you know, a, a receiving back who can flex out and you know obviously bring some speed. The Jets were reportedly really interested in Michael Carter. They also threw in Khalil Herbert in there as well. Um, but reportedly, they, they've met with Carter quite a bit. And so he, it would not surprise me if they do take a running back. I really like Kenneth Gamewell as, as, as well. If they do, what I think they should should do is, is take Jabril Cox with the first fourth, and then you wait till I think, what do they pick, like 137 or something? It's the second to last pick in the, in the fourth round. 
Um, at that point, then you just, uh, you know, analyze the board. If a guy like Jermar Jefferson's there, Chuba Hubbard, if it may be one of the guys we just talked about falls. Um, that's when I would target a running back. If not, I mean, yeah, then you're looking at the other positions that we've talked about cornerback, offensive line, edge, and tight end. I think that's where you look. Uh, you just take the best player available. But I think the reason I would go with Cox over Michael Carter or Kenneth Gamewell, and again, it, it just comes down to your player grade. If they have a, a much higher grade on Kenneth Gamewell, be, by all means, take him. But, you know, I love the positional value you can get with Jabril Cox because I think you can. I think you can pass on a running back now and still get a very good running back later. I don't think you can pass on Jabril Cox now and still get a, a comparable linebacker later. I like there's guys I like later, like Tony fields, but uh, if they were able to get Jabril Cox with their first pick in the fourth, and then maybe a guy like Kenneth Gamewell falls, or maybe they take a guy like Ch- uh, Chuba Hubbard or Jamar Jefferson. I'm feeling a lot better about this, this team as a whole. Um, but yeah, I, I think the home run guy, I think they do want some zero to 60 speed. I think you kind of see that with a little bit with Elijah Moore, the type of offense that they're trying to have. Um, and again, like, yeah, Zach Wilson's going to have those plays where he, the play breaks down. He's playing backyard football. He wants to whip it 40 yards across the field. You, you want some running back with that's probably more Tevin Coleman. Um, but you, you want to bring explosiveness and juice to your offense. I think that's, the, they're trying to have a high powered explosive offense and you'd think that would include a a, a game breaking running back so if they do go with michael carter i i won't hate it at all um Michael, and i would like good, i would position? like uh, oh, oh and before we get to cornerback quick there's just one more thing to running backs i i think it's really important to have good hands out of the backfield because i look back at darnold's rookie season and isaiah crowell and elijah mcguire just could not catch the ball out of the backfield they had a lot of drops just did not bring any uniqueness in the passing game at all and i think that is something that can hurt a rookie quarterback to not have that safety blanket there um and it because you want your rookie quarterback to be able to learn what he can get away with down the field especially zach wilson we know how he plays you want him to find that balance between taking shots and checking the ball down and if you're not confident in checking the ball down because your running backs can't catch the football then it's going to be hard to find that balance so i think it is really important to have running backs who have good hands and you know keep the drops to a minimum and can do different things as a receiver but and blocking and blocking is important too um in, in terms of the guys they have the blocking isn't is i don't think any of the, these four guys are terrible blockers but none of them are really good either so they can improve there um so passing value you kind of you kind of hope p ryan develops you, you kind of hope p ryan develops into that that type of running back yeah I, I think that's exactly who they want him to be and he wasn't really that as a rookie which is a little disappointing yeah but we'll see if he can develop into that because well, i think that's what they a, hoped he could be yeah because there's another ramondre stevenson from oklahoma who's kind of a bigger back he doesn't necessarily have the top end speed he it's the whole gets his yards but he's a good receiver he's a, he's a reliable uh pass blocker and that was kind of the mo with p ryan where it's like Piran, to his credit, did have plenty of, of you know, game-changing runs and, and broken tackles, but at least in his rookie year, and we don't know how much the ankle affected him, but it kind of didn't look like he was a, a very explosive back who was going to make a lot of guys miss. You're kind of just hoping he's a guy who can hit the hole, get his five yards, keep the chains moving, but you're going to hope that he can separate himself and earn playing time because of his pass blocking and because of his, 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 his pass catching. Um, but, Michael, when it comes to the cornerback position – is there anybody that catches your eye or do you think it is full on free agency time, you know, either trade Jameson Crowder and take all that money and, and throw it at Richard Sherman or, or, or make something else work. Do you think there's any corners uh, that, that catch your eye? Yeah, there are a couple guys. And again, just like the offensive lineman, I'm not necessarily talking about 
the top of the fourth round here at any point today. These guys could go, but Elijah Griffin from USC, Thomas Graham from Oregon, Rodarius Williams from Oklahoma State, and Trey Brown from Oklahoma. Um, I, I like to mostly focus on guys who have really good production and coverage because, you know, for me personally, if you're getting toasted in college, I'm not too optimistic about you not getting toasted in the pros. So I like to look for guys who were dominant in coverage in college. All four of those guys had really good coverage numbers. And for the most part, I also liked to single out zone guys because it seems like that's what they're going to be looking at. That's the way Sala played defense. That's the way the Falcons played defense with Ulbrich. Um, leaning towards zone um, over man on the outside. Um, so all four of those guys uh, more so lean towards zone for the most part. Um, so those four guys are uh, some of the ones that stood out as potential day three steals to me. All right. I guess last question, the three guys you want most from the, the remaining crop, they can be three guys throughout either all three guys are targets for the first fourth round pick. It could be the three best guys available, but just, I guess three guys in your mind that it's like, look, if I could have the jets walk away with any three, it'd be these. Um, well, Cox has definitely got to be on there. Um, I guess I'm looking at, and it might be, honestly, I got to put Brevin Jordan on there. Um, the, he's a really good value at this point with the receiving upside, um, especially because because he is after the catch ability. That's something he does really well. Breaks a lot of tackles, is a yak guy, and that fits in really well in this offense. Just look at what they were able to turn George Kittle into as a rare tight end who could break tackles, and Jordan does do that. So uh, I think he's... How do you think he fits with Herndon? It will be I mean, two to receiving for, for Herndon. I really just, I don't think you can rely on him too much. I, I love the guy after 2018 and going into this season, but he was, he was bad last year. I know he finished a, a little bit better the last few games, but it wasn't enough to make up for all the drops earlier in the season. Um, so it, I, he'll be in the mix for sure. But it, I, I think if you did draft um, Jordan, then it would they would sort of have to compete for playing time because you have Tyler Croft, you have Ryan Griffin, who are sort of your blocking tight ends, uh, and you have Wesco as well. So you sort of know who your blockers are going to be. And, you know, to have those two guys on the field at the same time, if you have Jordan Herndon on the field at the same time in a 12 personnel look or 22, whatever it is, you're sort of compromising the blocking because I don't think either of those guys are great run blockers. Herndon is pretty decent in pass protection. In run blocking, I don't think he does much, though. So I think you'd compromise a little bit with that. So I feel like they'd sort of be competing for the same role. But I think that could be good for Herndon. Maybe that's what he needs to, right. to push him because it was really just mental last season. Physically, there were some of those flashes at the end of the year, but it was just drops and fumbles and just – How do you how do you rate Herndon lapses. as a blocker? Uh, like I said, I think in pass protection, he's – He's probably a top pass protecting tight end, and they use them a lot. But, but as protection. as a run, but, but as a run as blocker. a run as a run blocker, I don't like. He doesn't get destroyed as a run blocker. Like like there are some tight ends who will you know they'll be on the edge, they'll just get pummeled into the backfield, or they'll just get destroyed by swim moves and give up the inside consistently. He doesn't really do that. I feel he's like he knows where to be, but he just doesn't really create the push. Like he's not much right. of a difference maker. Whereas like Wesco can have moments where he pile drives guys 
um, Tyler. I guess, Croft yeah, I guess that's that true. They, they do. They do have Croft and West Coast. Yeah, I mean, look, if they like Breven Jordan, I, I, that's another really interesting weapon. And it's probably the last. I mean, I guess there's running back, but it, it's running back and tied under the last picks you can take that are. Are, are weapons for Zach Wilson because I think you could take a running back or a tight end here and I think they, they'll play immediately I think any other offensive pick after that and I think it's like they might they might not be the starter immediately but if they take a tight end right now I think he's going to get day one reps alongside Herndon uh, and if you take a running back right now I think he's getting day one reps um, but if you okay. wait until later in the fourth I think that's when they they, they go towards the bench um, yeah and, from, and yeah and to round out the top oh, yeah, three sorry, so, uh, so Cox I'll go with Cox Jordan and I, I like Rashad Weaver on the edge from Pittsburgh. Interesting. A guy who I think fits this scheme, has a lot of size. I believe he's 6'5", 270. Um, had an ACL injury in 2019, sort of knocked his stock down. A lot of the scouting reports questioned his bend and his explosiveness, which is legit when you watch him. But the production was really good this past season. I believe he was, he was second among all edge rushers in the nation in pressures per game. Um, the the production was there. Good power, good technique, um, is able to get those hustle pressures. And at this point in the draft, I'm not looking for a guy who is who has amazing tools and burst. A, a hustle edge rusher with good size, good scheme fit, make, and good production makes sense to me at this point. So I, I like his production at this point. And actually the guy who was ahead of him in pressures per game, he's available too, Teron Jackson from Coastal Carolina. So uh, and he also seems like a scheme fit as a four, three defensive end, but I'll go with Weaver, uh, Rashad Weaver, Jordan and Cox as my three. Yeah. I mean, definitely Cox is definitely up there for me. Uh, I like Weaver as well. I'll throw in Shaka Tony as another edge defender. I like Joshua Kando as well. Um, but Tony, I think is a little bit more polished. He's a little undersized though. So that might be an issue with Sala. I, the thing I think I like about Weaver is he, he's not necessarily the longest guy. He's kind of short, uh, short arms, but he is six, four. And that's kind of what, the mo for a solid defensive end is a five tech he likes these big um domineering uh defensive ends so I, I think they'll definitely add another one day three i mean they actually have a ton of picks um today so i think they will add one but i think they might wait a little bit uh they're definitely gonna t- i think they take a running back early i just it, it comes down to how much they like michael Carr. i think they take jabril cox and then i think they take a, whatever running back falls their second fourth so i'll throw jamar jefferson in there give a shout out to my to my home state of oregon um, uh, he, I mean, he's just dominated for Oregon state this year. He's a really, really good player. And I think he'd fit in well, I think he's a steal. He's just one of those running backs again. that's just super productive. Shows a lot of great things on film clearly is an athlete and then just kind of falls. He doesn't really play in a, a top program. Um, but he's one of those guys that I think could come in and, and be a, a productive starter day one. So I guess I'll go Cox, Jamar Jefferson. You're kind of selling me a little bit on breathing, but if I will be different, you know what? I'll, I'll throw Trey Smith in there and he's not necessarily a perfect scheme fit. You know, we do run more of a zone blocking system. Um, and obviously he's more of a man gap power type of guy, but at the end of the day, he's a complete mauler. And he kind of brings up an interesting point that I was just talking to you about Michael and we'll learn a lot more once they get in the field, but I'm not necessarily sure it's, it's set in stone that uh, Elijah Vera Tucker is going to play. It's going to take a little bit to, I've, I've been calling him Elijah. So it's just give me the next three months to get it to Elijah. I'm not necessarily certain that Elijah Vera Tucker is going to play left guard next to Makai back to next year. Like it's, it's certainly the position that he's comfortable with. I, I think it's high probability he does. I think it'd be really fun to watch him next to Becton opens up a ton of holes in the left side of your line when you're running and protects your quarterback's blind side. But I think he's naturally 
a, a more uh, natural scheme fit for the right guard in a Shanahan system, which is more of the athletic mobile guard that's pulling more of the finesse guard. The left guard is more of the, you know, he still wanted to be mobile, but he's not as mobile as the right guard. He's more of the mauler. So if they were to take a guy like Trey Smith, or let's say they don't even take him, they have a guy like Cameron Clark who has experience on the left side as well. He's kind of more of that mauler. The other thing is, is if you're considering potentially seeing Elijah Vera Tucker at right tackle after George Fant leaves, you'd figure you'd probably want to get him some snaps on the right side of the line, get him more in that stance. So you get some experience there. Again, I think they're going to try him out in training camp all over the place. I could see him totally starting a left guard, but if look, if Cameron Clark makes a push for it, Clark is more naturally the left guard and, and Vera Tucker is more naturally the right guard. And you kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier, but when you're talking about the MO of Shanahan guards, the MO of Shanahan guards, not just athletic profile, but just when you look at them, a lot of late round picks, it wasn't a heavily invested at position. So the fact, obviously the Jets had a huge need and they really loved Elijah Vera Tucker. So I love the fact that they went up and got him, but I don't hate the fact that they're going to, you know, they'll, they'll probably take another one in day three, but it's like they have day three, they have Greg Van Roden, Alex Lewis, and they have Cam Clark. I mean, I think that makes sense for the other side at this stage when you're building your line. Um, but it, look, I, I like Trey Smith a lot. He's not necessarily a perfect scheme fit, but uh, you can't hate on good players. Um, Michael, I guess any last thoughts before we get out of here um, uh, on, on the first two days of the draft for the Jets? I guess overall, how much has your who you thought Joe Douglas was as a GM changed um, from the you know the perception we had heading into the weekend? Well, I just think the important thing is that he's shown us he's willing to be whatever he needs to be. He's not just conservative. He's not just aggressive. He'll do what he he's able to read the situation and do whatever it takes. It's not like he's we're going to build through the draft. We're going to trade down constantly. We're never going to spend big on free agents or trade up. It's not like he's just, you know, committed to that. And it's not like he's Mike McCagnan, just spending money on running backs and trading picks for every veteran he can find. He's able to do whatever he needs to do. And I think that's what he's shown us in this draft with his aggression, trading up for Vera Tucker, and then also um, taking a wide receiver in the second round when it wasn't necessarily the biggest need and it sort of is on that flashy side, but also has nuance to it. And that's another thing, even when he does spend big on Corey Davis or Carl Lawson, even when he does trade up, even when he does take a wide receiver in the second round, when it's not the biggest need, there's always a measured reason behind what he does. Everything sort of makes sense. There aren't like these flashy moves that he's making where it's like, okay, that's a big name guy. And, you know, sure, he's good, but does this make a lot of sense from a team building perspective? There isn't much of that. Everything he does seems to have a good rationale behind it. So uh, those are the two biggest things him showing that he's able to be anywhere on the spectrum in terms of how aggressive he's building the team. And then at the same time, always having uh, a measuredness to the moves that he's making. And also going to day three, please get a kicker. Even if, no. you, don't, even if you don't draft him, just in on the undrafted free agent market, be aggressive, beat everyone out okay. for the best prospects, whether that. it's uh, McPherson or Borgales, get one of them. I want a good kicker. Please. Yeah, but that I mean that those those are the bells and whistles. I mean, look, if one falls to the Jets in the sixth round, then yeah, I'll take him. But I'm not I'm not putting a kicker mandate on Joe Douglas. Um, I am. Yeah. I'm putting the kicker mandate on him. <laughs> okay, you do you. I, I I think that Joe Douglas, um, for me, um, had a really impressive first two days of the draft. I think he he did kind of change my perception a little bit. Really, I think the Jets have just been absolutely killing it, moves wise since 
you know, the, the beginning of the year, I think there are some moves last year that are a little bit more questionable, but when you look at it through the lens of, and we'll see how accurate this was that the jets were kind of setting themselves up for the future. Um, you know, obviously they, they weren't as aggressive uh, in free agency. He traded down a lot in the draft last year. Uh, we kind of had this image of, of Joe Douglas as being this frugal, really measured, not going to take a lot of risks, traditional GM. Um, and I think we learned he's not, he's not necessarily that. I mean, sure. He's a really measured guy. He has a process. He has a really, he's a really thorough thinker and he has a plan, but he's going to be aggressive and he's going to move up and down the draft board. And not just that. I mean, the, the taking Elijah Moore is, is a big, big time selection. That's, that's a bit of a risk. I mean, that's him really, you know, putting his name on a player. And I, I, you know, the more I talk about it, the more I like it. I think the other thing about Moore, and he, he's, he's kind of an interesting fit because I think you and I kind of both thought that this offense, especially if it was going to run a lot more like the Shanahan system, we were kind of wondering how Crowder, I guess, would fit into it because Crowder is a very natural slot receiver. And then I was like, well, I think you can still use Crowder on some jet sweeps and stuff and make a role for him. And Elijah Moore really does everything that Jameson Crowder does. Um, and I don't want to say at a higher level, but I guess at a higher ceiling for it, it has more potential for what Jameson Crowder is because he already has the reliability over the middle. He has the hands of Jameson Crowder. Obviously Crowder has the experience and the idea of, or the understanding of where to sit in the zone and, and just kind of the things you get through reps. But then on top of that, you get a guy who can do all the things that you were talking about, like a Curtis Samuel type of thing. And I, I think he can be more of a deep threat than he was in college. I just think, you know, the, the way I think about it is, you know, Zach Wilson is this type of Patrick Mahomes type of, uh, of quarterback, and they went and got him his own Tyree kill. He's a kind of a Josh Allen type of quarterback who has his own Stephon Diggs. I mean, Russell Wilson has Tyler Lockett. You want to give your gunslinger a, you know, a, a slingshot, I guess, kind of a, a big explosive um, guy who can make plays happen out of nowhere. I think right now at this stage in this career, Elijah Moore is more of the, the, the yak kind of over the middle traditional slot guy, but he can bring a lot of those gadget things. I am curious to see how they can incorporate him on some, on some deep routes. That's what I'm really excited about. But overall, I just think it's like, look, Joe Douglas is, is pumped a lot of talent into this, this draft. I, I tweeted out that the first pick after Sam Darnold was defensive tackle Nathan Shepard in the third round. And already you look at what Joe Douglas has done in his five premium picks over the last two years. It's Mekhi Becton, Denzel Mims, Zach Wilson, Elijah Vera Tucker, um, and Elijah Moore. I mean, all offense. He's in just injecting this team with talent. I think, I think this team is going to surprise a lot of people next year. I don't think they're going to go to the playoffs, but I do think they're going to be a competitive team. I think they're going to upset some teams. I think they're going to be in it, and it's going to be a more fun season than we've had. Um, I'm really confident. I really am. Like I, I know I'm, I'm optimistic generally, but I really like the direction the Jets are heading, and I think they're one more draft away, one more pump of two first rounders, two second rounders. I mean, they just have a lot of picks next year as well that they can really juice up this roster and a whole new free agent class as well. But I think I really like where the Jets are at right now. It all comes down to their coaching staff, but I, I have a lot of faith in, in Sala's ability to get the best out of the existing roster and to really help develop uh, these these gems that the Jets have drafted. Because in my mind, the Jets got three first round draft picks. Um, and even if that's all they walk away, if, if Douglas only hits on these three, these three picks and whiffs on everything else tonight um, or uh, this afternoon, which I don't think will happen. I think Douglas will land at least one or two of these, uh, at least as guys who can make the roster and be somewhat contributors. Um, even if the first three picks are the only guys who hit, it's still a good draft class. You know, uh, just the talent that, that he's in, it pumped into this team. Uh, and he's a lot more lottery tickets later today. I'm really excited about the the, the possibilities um, for the Jets. Michael, uh, I think we're going to wrap it up here. We will be back tomorrow night. 
um, recapping all three rounds of the draft. We're going to just be talking everything through and, and seeing how Joe Douglas has the team shaped up. And then we'll have um, uh, our regular podcast later in the week with maybe a little bit more thorough analysis. Maybe we'll have some guests on and whatnot, but um, overall, very good day, two days for the Jets. I'm, I'm ecstatic about how this has gone. I think there was, there was a little bit of a fear that the Jets were not going to make, we're not going to hit any on the offensive line. I thought that none of them might fall to 23, 34. Obviously, I thought the Jets might get some talent, but if they go defense, it's just there was there was a lot of scenarios this weekend that were not as good. And the fact, if you would have told me on Wednesday night that the Jets are going to be walking out of the first two days of the draft with Zach Wilson, Elijah Vera Tucker, and Elijah Moore, I'd be ecstatic. So, and I, and I think most Jets fans should be as well. You can tweet us at CYJ Pod on Twitter. Tweet us um, as soon as you listen to this podcast. Let us know what you think the Jets should do. On day three, uh, you can follow myself at Ben W. Blessington, Michael at Michael underscore Nania. Find this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Jets X Factor, which is the best place to go for Jets content. Michael, can, can, can I add something quick right there? Yeah. Um, yeah if, if someone's still listening to the podcast at this point, or if they're listening to you say that, do they really need to be told where they can find the podcast? You know, I think it's just kind of habit at this point. It's It's a lot. It's, I'm not it saying it's it you, it's just it's in general, like, like everybody says it. I'm just, no. it's more like a general well, critique. It's kind of, it's a you. wind down. I didn't want to just be like, all right, we're done now. And I, maybe I should just do that. Maybe I should just abruptly stop the conversation. It's kind of a way, you know, like when you're on your phone with somebody and you're like, all right, like you're kind of telling yeah, them, all right, like, all we're, right. Getting, we're, we're all getting right. off the phone. <laughs> like that's that. Yeah. I'm hanging up on you. It's just like, all right, bye. Just yeah, hang it okay. up. Okay. I'll there has, there has to be a wind down. I, I'm just talking about like, okay, you don't, you don't want to wind down. Line. You don't want to wind down. Okay. No, the right. wind down is right. good. It's just right. that, it's just that one line where no. it's like, people, no, no, right. They, they're listening to you. They don't need to be told. No. Okay. 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 It. Ready? All right. All right. Bye. Car has to work quickly. Down to six seconds. Car going down again. And it's Quentin Williams this time for the Jets. The middle in the air picked off. Ryan Poole to the end zone. Touchdown. Touchdown, most likely. Looks right. Fires a bomb down the right sideline again for Mims. What a catch by Denzel Mims.